So I think it's an important life lesson too, that, you know, regardless of why you're going through the big change you might be going through in your life, it's going to lead to opportunity. Things are going to come because of that change. And I think instead focus on that instead of focusing on how uncomfortable personal change can be. Welcome to Reaching Your Goals. My name is Hannah Herbst and I'm a Certified Leadership and Career Coach and a Management Consultant with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. Reaching Your Goals is a career-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to find out what it takes to reach your goals. We will talk about anything from knowing yourself and leading with purpose to growing your self-confidence or becoming more productive whatever it takes to get one step closer to living a fulfilled professional life. My mission is simple, to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness and have some fun along the way. My guest today is Laura Darrell. Laura is a leadership author, speaker, educator and former operations and training senior executive. She is known for her commitment to an organizational culture rooted in coaching, development, and appreciation. She has over 25 years of experience leading people and teams at companies such as Starbucks, Apple, or Boston Pizza International, to name just a few. Laura just published her second book, The Promotability Gap, The Real Reasons You're Not Advancing in Your Career and What You Can Do About It. This is also what we will focus on today. Why do people stagnate in their careers? What's the secret to get their careers rolling again? Welcome, Laura. I'm very much looking forward to our conversation. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing so great, uh, Hannah. And thank you so much for having me. I've been super excited to, yeah, just to get together and talk about all things leadership, all things success. Um, it's such an important subject for people. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I thank you for taking the time and being here. And to get things started, I'd love to start with a couple of rapid fire questions. Short questions, short answers. Okay. It's 7 a.m. for you. Are you a morning person by any chance? Um, I didn't used to be, but I've recently joined the 5 a.m. club. So I guess I could say that, yes, now I am no a morning person. Yeah. Holy moly, what a productivity um, boost that gives you in your day. Although I have to go to bed very early, so it's a toss-up, I suppose. You live in beautiful Mexico. Do you still fancy going anywhere else for a beach vacation? Yeah, so we live in Mexico City. So yeah, I still get the cravings to head down to Cancun or Puerto Vallarta. And I love, I love laying on the beach, swimming in the water. So we try and still go to the beach two or three times a year even living in this beautiful place, we still try and take regular trips to the beach. <laughs> I know that you're originally from Canada. What is one unexpected thing that you're missing from Canada? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I miss the first snowfall of the year, like the first big blizzard when you're kind of sitting inside and all the snow is falling and just that that feeling that comes, yeah, with just that kind of first big snowfall of the year. So unexpectedly, um, I do miss that. I never thought I would say I miss the snow, but uh, yeah, I, mi I miss that a little bit. And so how would your family and friends describe you in one word? 
Oh, adventurous. Who is one of your role models? Coach John Wooden, I think, hands down, is just my leadership icon. Um, if you or your le- your listeners haven't heard of him, oh my goodness. He is just, I think, yeah, he is definitely my leadership icon, my, my role model, my leadership style after him and his beliefs. He is just He sadly passed away now, late into his 90s, I believe. But man, he is just a a leadership icon, that's for sure. Do you do any sports? I used to do um, a lot of running. So I ran um, half marathons, mountain races. But as I have aged, um, my knees just just can't keep up. So now I do like nice walks in the park every day. And I took up yoga this year when I when I moved to to Mexico. So that's a bit new for me. And what is your favorite social media platform? I love LinkedIn. It is, I just think, this great blend of, you know, staying connected with, you know, all kinds of folks. If you if you start when you're young in your career, you get this great, you know, followership of folks that you've kind of worked with and been connected with over the years. And I just find Um, The content is super relevant, like leadership is my jam. So there's all kinds of stuff on there related to leadership and different generations in the workplace. And of course, you know, all of the current events happening around the world. So I think that it's my one guilty pleasure. I probably spend too much time um, (laughs) on LinkedIn, but man, it's a great way to stay connected and stay, stay up to speed on what's going on in the world. Are there any other guilty pleasures you'd like to share? (laughs) Red wine and potato chips, I think, also guilty pleasures. (laughs) What do you need to be at your best? I need sleep. I need um, really good, like I can tell if my diet hasn't been great or if I haven't been exercising enough. I really feel it. I'm not as sharp. I'm not as, you know, kind of engaged. So I think that I've learned over the years, uh, Hannah, that I need to take care of myself to be at to be at my best. And, you know, you only get one go round uh, in this life. And the better the better you take care of your mental health and your physical health, you're just going to get you're going to get more out of the ride, I think. What does a fulfilled professional life mean to you? I think for me, it's always meant um Pouring more into those that you wish to lead and really focusing on their success, helping them advance their careers, helping them be kind of the best versions um, of themselves. That's always made me feel really good. And I think that when you when you focus on others and you focus on their success and their happiness, good things can only come from that. That's been my experience. And I think that has been how I've measured the success of my career. What is the most important quality in a leader? Oh, just one? Oh my goodness. Yeah, like the the most important one. I think that I would have to pick authenticity. Like are you your real self when you when you show up at, you know, show up at work to lead your team or show up in your community to lead folks in your community? Cuz I think that if there's a big gap between who you are and kind of your real life compared to how you show up in your, you know, your work life or other places. Um, eventually that gap is going to, to show itself. So I just think that, you know, figure out who you are and, and be that person um, every day. And, and you'll find a lot of success with just building relationships with your followers. And I think that everybody appreciates that, 
you know, we're all human. Nobody expects you to be, to be perfect. So don't, don't try to be, just be yourself. And one last question for the rapid fire. What is the best advice you've been given in your personal or professional life? The best advice um, was many, many years ago when I had worked for the first company I worked for, A&W Restaurants, and I really wanted to advance my career. And they told me that I needed more seasoning, that I needed to go out and experience more things. And, you know, at the moment, I think I was a little bit frustrated because I really wanted to kind of grow my career with them. But then it sent me on this journey that I think I've been on for the rest of my life of just self-development and new experiences and new tools for the toolkit. Um, so at the moment, it didn't feel like the best advice, but certainly in hindsight, it probably was the best advice. And with that, I'm ready to deep dive in and get to know you better. Would you mind sharing the key milestones that led you to where you are today? Yeah, I think that it's, it's such a great question. You know, I, I took a bit of a different path early in my career. I started working right out of high school. I didn't go to university. I didn't get you know, post-secondary education um, and really just started digging in from an operations perspective. I spent 10 years with A&W, then that led me to kind of my next career opportunity um, at a company called White Spot, and they had a tuition reimbursement program. So I thought, well, you know, I'm kind of in my late 20s now. I'm going to take a leadership course at a local British Columbia Institute of Technology. So That was actually such a defining moment for me and not so much for like the program. The program was amazing. I learned a lot of great things, but I let, I met this lady. She was one of my teachers and her name was Gina Buchanan or is Gina Buchanan. And she had just finished taking a master's degree in leadership at Royal Roads University. And back then it was one of the first master's degrees that you could do kind of in this line of study. And I just remember talking to her about this program and listening to her, just, you know, her enthusiasm about everything she was learning. And I remember telling myself, I am going to do that one day. Like I'm going to find a way to get into that program. And it really drove me for the next decade in my career is just to get enough experience um, under my belt that I would be considered for this program because I didn't have a bachelor's degree And to get into a master's program in Canada without a bachelor's degree, you have to, oh, you've got to like write an essay. You have to go through interviews with um, the faculty. You have to have letters of references from your employers that speak about kind of your business experience. And so I got accepted into that program. And I think that was another big defining moment for me in my, in my career, certainly, um, but in life as well, it just really fueled that passion that I have for leadership. And it gave me such a unique kind of counterbalance to all of the experience that I had gained to that point. I think I was in my mid thirties, certainly late thirties, maybe definitely late thirties um, when I, when I took, started that master's program and I had all of this kind of hands-on leadership experience, but this program gave me kind of the technical understanding the more of the philosophical conversations with others that were kind of in their leadership journey. And I think it really just rounded out, yeah, who I am as a leader and, and really kind of certainly propelled me forward in my career. I became an executive shortly after that. Um, so yeah, I would have to say that those are probably some of the biggest defining moments in 
not only my career, but I think my, my leadership journey as a whole. And when you went to school, did you then have classmates that were also in their 30s or did you have the younger ones with you? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, this program in particular, I would say was probably 70% folks that were my age and maybe a little bit older that were at certain levels in their career. And then there was a smaller cohort or smaller group in that cohort that were you know, they'd done a kind of four years bachelor's degree, and then they went straight into this yeah. um, master's program. And it was just so fast, like the group work and the dialogue was just so fascinating with kind of these older folks and then these younger kids. It was a great learning experience. And is it a sign for the plus of diversity also in terms of different age groups? Yeah, definitely. Lots of diversity in background, career experience, age yeah. group, women, men. It was a really... Uh, it was a good uh, petri dish for learning, I think. And when we started our conversation, I was hinting that you're now living in Mexico. And you also said that friends and family were describing you as adventurous. Would you mind sharing a little bit on like what got you to Mexico? Because that is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question, too. So I think like most people in the world, um, Hannah, when COVID happened, um, it was just such a disruptive time, I think for everybody, really. And, you know, my husband and I were... Really? What was it again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just this small three-year moment in time where everything was upside down and, oh my gosh. And, you know, before COVID, um, I was working in this uh, executive role. I was the vice president of operations for a restaurant company in Canada. They had 400 restaurants, 20,000 employees, and really big job. I was, um, I think that folks that work with, with me would describe me as like a real hands-on leader. I love to be in the trenches, like visiting the restaurants, talking to all the team members. So I was traveling a ton. My husband was a senior sales executive doing a lot of um, international travel. And oh my gosh, Hannah, we would literally like just meet at the airport sometimes like, oh, you're coming in at this time. I'm leaving at this time. Let's have a glass of wine or let's meet for a cup of coffee. And that just seemed totally normal to us. And then COVID came and we went into the first of, I think, four lockdowns in Canada. And we were both kind of grounded in the house together. We were like, oh, wait, like, I actually really love spending time with you. This is so fantastic made me certainly think, gosh, you know, are we really living um, to to our values? You know, we say that spending time together and we're each other's priorities, yet we're kind of living this life that, you know, outwardly would look a bit opposite to that. So Jim retired. That's my husband. He retired almost right away, like two months into COVID. And he was like, well, I don't have the same passion for my work that you do. So I'm just going to retire now, pack it in. Um, and so that's kind of what started us on this bit of a reshift or yeah. recalibration. Um, but I was just in such this, you know, stage with my work that, you know, the restaurant industry was so hard hit during COVID and closing restaurants and laying off thousands of staff. And, you know, I really, from a leadership perspective, I just, um, I felt like the work that I was doing was so purpose-driven and so important that. I stayed at it for another um, two years at that point, just to lead the, you know, that part of the organization and our franchisees through a really difficult time. And then 
uh, I decided that now it was time for me to join Jim in retirement and we were going to move somewhere warm where we could have this great cultural experience and this amazing time together. Um, so I resigned my executive position with, with Boston Pizza, but I did stay on in a consultant role for probably seven or eight months working behind the scenes just to oh gosh, I just wanted to take care of the team and make sure yeah. they were transitioned well and make sure the franchisees were taken care of. And I was building all this leadership content for our conference. And so I stayed quietly behind the scenes working on that from here in Mexico. And then when I wrapped that up, that's kind of, yeah, just this moment where we both really felt like we were really living out our our purpose and our values and, and really being true to, you know, that we that we think we are and it's been yeah it's been kind of amazing ever since and you've been mentioning now your purpose and values a few times and purpose and values are one of my favorite topics would you mind sharing what your purpose is and maybe some of your core values yeah I think that you know from a purpose perspective I've just always wanted to just to, to help people, you know, even from when, you know, a really, really young age, I just, you know, I, I want to take care of people. I think that I'm really nurturing when it comes to a leadership perspective. I want to help people. I want to help, help them drive their careers. And I, I just want to help people. I kind of wondered, you know, what am I going to do when I'm not working in this crazy career anymore? And that's when I started writing books and realizing, oh, you can help a lot more that is a people, different right? life. So that was amazing. The writing of these books really just helps me stay connected to that purpose and trying to help as many people as I can. And I think, you know, from a values perspective, you know, I have to thank my folks for that really, because I think your, your values are formed at such a young age in life. And, and for me, I, I value um, hard work. I grew up on a farm, so that was just kind of the way the way of the world back then. So I really value a strong work ethic. I really value, and this might sound really funny, but punctuality is really important to me. And that's all my dad, right? He just, you know, says to me and said to me back then all the time, he's like, girl, all people have is their time. It's the most precious thing they have. And, you know, don't you dare ever waste it. So I'm always very mindful of, you know, certainly punctuality, but Even things like, you know, when I would, you know, run a lot of meetings, like making sure that they were super purposeful and impactful and it was the right people for the right amount of time. Um, so that was really important to me. And I think the other value that I would say I've certainly carried with me my whole life is just, you know, my, my mom always called it kind of the three C's, you know, don't complain, don't compare and don't criticize. And That's just some of the, I don't know if that's a value or advice, but certainly it's something that I live by and that's helped immensely as I have this adventurous spirit, you know, traveling all over the world, doing all these crazy things. Um, it's really helpful when you apply that lens to being in different people's cultures where you just, you just be gracious and accept it and enjoy it and enjoy it for all its differences. So I think that would be some of the biggest, um, the biggest values that kind of fuel my, my purpose. And there also here, this beginner's mindset is sometimes like when you jump into a new adventure and really being open-minded and just not knowing yet. Yeah, you just have to, I don't know, just embrace the embrace the opportunity, I think, because sometimes yeah. it's through the biggest changes, like this whole 
you know, recalibration in the in, in the time of COVID, um, gosh, that's really uncertain. You know, leaving a big career and you know selling all our our assets and everything, and then moving to a foreign country, and you know, that's a that's a huge calibration to make. Um, but the opportunity that that has led to um, has been absolutely incredible. The people we've met, the cultural experiences, I'm writing books, I'm doing all these things that, you know, three years ago, I probably never would have um, said, oh, yeah, in three years, I'm going to be doing those things. So I think it's an important life lesson, too, that, you know, regardless of why you're going through the big change you might be going through in your life, it's going to lead to opportunity. Things are going to come because of that change. And I think instead focus on that instead of focusing on how uncomfortable personal change can be. Out of curiosity, it's like once you made the decision to leave Canada, like once that was really clear, we are moving. Was it then easy or very difficult to do the physical move? Great question. I am a planner, like you wouldn't believe. Like I have day timers and lists and I'm like super organized. I get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so I think because of that, um, it was pretty easy. Um, but everything really just seemed to work. The most difficult part, I think, is that we, we, have, uh, we have four pets or we had four pets at the time. We had two big dogs and two cats, and we, of course, were not going to leave them behind. So moving with that many critters is, uh, it can be a little bit challenging, but it, it, it all worked out uh, once we arrived. And I kind of took that as a bit of a sign. It always feels like when you think about this change you want to make in your life, that it seems to be nearly impossible. And then if you ask somebody who really did a very life-changing move, oh, it worked. I think that's the key point, is that once you make the decision that, okay, we're we're going to do this. And like, what's the worst thing that can happen? We move back in a year because we don't like it, you know, and I credit my husband for that because he always says like, well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen here? And when you look at it from that lens, well, okay, so it's maybe not as scary as we think. And once you commit, it's just a series of lists of things to do. And you cross those things off and you get them done. Because once you're in it, you're moving through the process at that point. I think the most difficult point is making the decision. You also mentioned before that you are now writing books and that you did not see that coming three years ago. Your most recent book, I believe it was published in December, is The Promotability Gap. The real reasons you're not advancing in your career and what you can do about it. And I'm very curious to learn more about that. Oh, uh, I had a lot of fun. What triggered you to write that book? Let's start with that. Well, my first book um, I wrote was called The Great, the Great Resignation, How a, Coaching, How a Culture of Coaching and Appreciative Leadership Can Kind of Help You Win the War for Talent. This was written at the time when, again, in a post-COVID world, everybody was making these crazy career decisions and deciding to change things up at the same time as all of these industries that had been shut down, so travel, tourism, hospitality a lot of these things that were just not operating for a number of years, at, we're hiring back all of these people back into the workforce. So it just created this perfect storm of not enough people to hire. So that book was really geared to organizations, um, how to, you know, peel back the excuse of, well, COVID and it's really disrupted things. Um, so I really believe it always comes down to culture. If you treat your people well and appreciate them and invest in them, they're not going to be interested in going anywhere. So I was on a podcast actually talking about that book specifically. 
And Shelly, she's one of the, the co-hosts of the Recruitment Flex. Um, she said, gosh, Laura, in your book, it sounds like you're describing like an organizational utopia. Do those companies even exist? And that just got the wheels spinning as somebody that really takes purpose from helping people and, and helping them you know, in their career and in life. I was like, oh, my gosh, what what about the 80 percent of people that don't work in, you know, company utopia that does all of these things? How do they advance their career and, you know, continue to find greater fulfillment in what they do? So that really spawned the idea for the second book, um, which really was taking kind of my all the years of my experience and why I've seen people not be successful in their career. And then, of course, I wanted to go out to the world and kind of fact check some of those assumptions. So, you know, I met with and talked to executives in all kinds of industries um, and really with just the aim to understand like, hey, look at your experience. Why have you seen um, people not be successful and not kind of get that next promotion and move along in their career. And so I kind of took all of that data and that that's what this book became is just like, here's the top five reasons. And they really transcend industry. Um, they transcend individual. Um, so I thought it was really powerful, you know, first to shine a light on what, what some of the, you know, what those top five areas are. Maybe first, what are the Top five areas. Great question. So the first one has a lot to do um, with soft skills, you know, specifically how you communicate, how you listen. You know, there's, of course, a gap around you've never managed people before. And if that's not the most frustrating to hear when you're trying to become a leader of people and you can't get the promotion, it's a bit of a, you know, chicken before the egg. And then executive presence is a big one. And I think it's really interesting because in this age of kind of diversity and inclusion, we like to think that people get ahead solely on their merits. But when you dig into the to the reality, um, it still matters, like the way you present yourself, the way you speak, the way you write, the way you, you know, the things you talk about in professional settings, all of those things get noticed by the people that are doing the advancing of careers and I just think you got to drag that out into the light and you have to talk about that. Sure, you may have a business casual, um, you know, wardrobe setting for, for your place of employment. But like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean sweatpants and flip flops and a T-shirt. I mean, you, you could show up like that. But the reality is that people notice those things. And it's not that they can recall, oh, I don't like you because you were wearing the flip-flops. It's more subconsciously. Very professional. Is they don't tracked. take their job very seriously. I mean, who knows? Like, the the organizations are just littered with with personal bias, and you're not you're not going to change that. Everybody has that. It's human nature. So I think setting yourself up from your executive presence um, <clears throat> to mitigate that as a concern is probably good good best practice, and then. Managing up was a really big one, consistent to that, you know, maybe you don't have a great relationship with your manager. Maybe you are not um, two-way communicating with your manager. And this was really common, Hannah, in folks that work in the field in like sales roles, regional manager roles, something where you're not tied to an office every day um, and certainly really relevant in this hybrid remote work we find ourselves in where out of sight, out of mind. If your manager doesn't know that, 
you know, that customer is singing your praises or that you helped, you know, somebody more junior on your team. If they don't know that, they can't recognize you for that. They can't, that doesn't help form their perspective of you as an employee. So that was really common. And then the last area, again, I just thought, you know, so this, this one is called really the dark reasons that you're not advancing. And this doesn't have a lot to do with you as an individual. It's just sadly some things that happen in organizations. And I think you've got to drag these things into the light to, to talk about them so that you can identify if you find yourself in one of these situations. If you are working, you know, in an organization where certain kinds of people get promoted because of their, maybe the school they went to, or maybe the extracurricular activities that they have. Maybe your manager just doesn't like you and they're blocking you from advancement. Maybe they feel threatened by you. We'd, we'd love to say that these things don't happen, but they happen and they happen more frequently than we think. So that was really kind of that fifth big bucket that I wanted to cover. And there's not a lot you can do to self-develop. These aren't issues with you, the individual. Um, that chapter was really all about helping people identify if you might be in one of those situations so that you can make the right decision to, you know, should I stay or should I go? You were just saying also with the managing up that it became more difficult in the hybrid world because out of sight, out of mind. And I was thinking now about diversity. As women, I feel we are more inclined for understatement. And understatement is not really helping to say, in quotation, brag about my successes. Did you come across any differences with the genders? That's a great question. And You, you hit the nail on the head. That was really the only area that was indicated by some that women just seem to, at times, maybe not negotiate as strongly as they should for whether that is a promotion, whether that's, you know, financial incentive, um, that skill of really asking for what you want um, is probably the biggest area where there was some um, gap between the genders and certainly shows up in, I think not just women, the, you know, some folks just think that I, I don't want to, to brag. I don't want to, you know, put my hand up and say, look at all this great work that I'm doing. But the fact remains that if you don't do that, and, and there are ways to do it in a way that doesn't make it seem like you're trying to brag or trying to be, you know, the superstar on the team, But if you don't bubble up to the surface, especially in this hybrid world, the great things that are happening in your role, how do you expect your, your manager to know that those things are happening? And when promotions are, you know, awarded and advancement happens because you're really excelling in, in your job. So it's kind of this really precarious situation. And I think that that would probably be one of my, my biggest pieces of advice is you have to get over that. You've got to find a way to be your authentic self but celebrate the successes um, that you're having in your role because it really does make a huge impact in, in your promotability and, and how far you'll advance in your career. And I think that in this hybrid environment, oh my gosh, like if you don't understand what proximity bias is, like you best dig into that. If you work in a hybrid world and you're one of those individuals that says, amazing, I'm, I'm never leaving my house. Like I'm just going to work from my home office every day you should probably dig into proximity bias a little bit because it is a um, increasingly 
significant challenge for, for folks that are wanting to advance their careers, but don't appreciate maybe how important spending time in your office actually is. You can have a blend. You don't have to be there five days a week. How, how important is it? I think it's critical because there are going to be people that they, they choose to spend two or three days a week in the office. Maybe they you know, live at home in a, in a small condo and they need some social interaction. Maybe they want to get out of the house or away from the kids or whatever that is to spend some time in the office. And typically, senior leaders spend more time um, in the office because you know, they, they might be typically a little bit older than, you know, the younger generations and they kind of grew up in this office environment. Um, and so if you're one of those employees that spends, you know, a couple of days a week in the office, you're going to have exposure to senior leaders. You're going to have better relationships with them, deeper relationships with them, because you see them at the water cooler, you bump into them at the kitchen. Maybe it's, oh, hey, we're all going to go out and you know, grab a, you know, grab a beer after work. Why don't, why don't you join us? And that proximity bias is a real thing. They, those folks are going to be top of mind. They're going to have deeper relationships um, and they're going to have an advantage when it comes to advancement time. So I, I really think that, you know, like most things you need a balance, but if you're one of those individuals that says, I have the option to be fully remote, so I'm not going to go into the office and you are career-minded, you want to advance your career, then you, you should dig into that a little bit. But if you are happy in the role that you're doing and you're, you're loving life and the, and the kind of spot you're at in your career, maybe it's not such a big, um, such a big deal. And thinking out loud, I assume if, if you want to stay at work from home, then you have to put in also more effort in really making sure that your superiors know you, like being proactive in scheduling coffees, having meetings where you also share something personal that you really build that relationship because it's more about just delivering your actual task, but people need to know you. 100%. It's absolutely critical. And I write about that actually in, you know, the chapter about how, how do you develop that, that skill? And it's, it, it's critical. And I think it's things like, you know, to your point, when, when you're in a virtual world, like everything becomes so task centered and you know, the people that need to be in that meeting are in that meeting. And then you, you lose exposure to everybody else in the organization. So if you work in operations, well, you're not going to see the folks from marketing or IT uh, or HR because those worlds don't cross. So I think that you have to, or you could, um, schedule little coffee connects. Like, oh, I'm going to schedule 20 minutes with Sally on the marketing team because I used to bump into her at the office all the time. And you know, I'm going to schedule, you know, maybe I'll do a different department each week and I'm just going to schedule it just purely just to, you know, just to chat, just to get to know each other and just to keep those relationships alive. Because if you don't do that, you, you very, very quickly find yourself in your departmental silo. And gosh, that can be a real um, disadvantage from a career perspective. Nobody knows you. Nobody knows the work that you're doing. Um, you get really, really insular really quickly. And that's not the best thing if you're yes. really career-minded. Networking within the organization is just essential to, to your promotability. I write a lot about that in a couple of different chapters is make the effort, even in a remote world, schedule a little coffee connects, get to know people on a personal level. Don't just dive into to business, right? Like, how are you doing? How's life? How's the kids? How was your vacation? Um, it's really important. You don't 
when you run into people in person, you don't just dive into, you know, well, let's get what maybe some people do. I was just thinking the same. <laughs> that for the most part, you check in on folks. And, and initially, it's like when you were talking about the soft skills, you also said that listening is very important because this whole, how are you doing? You can use it as a question where you're actually curious to hear what the other person has to say. Yeah, listening is, oh my gosh. You know, you could say all of these 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 skills are important, but listening really takes the cake. And I'm talking about, you know, I, I call it, I'm not sure if you're familiar with level five listening, but there's kind of like these five stages of listening. And level five listening is when you are really focused on the individual, you're, you're hearing what they're saying with the goal of empathizing, like what, what would it be like to be in this person's situation right now? And gosh, I just think that, you know, it, it's, it should be a goal for each of us to, to try and show up in, in all of our conversations with the goal of understanding where, where is this person coming from? I think it would help, it would go a long way to help a lot of the polarization we're seeing in the world today, everybody seems to be just so, you know, pitted against each other and different ideologies are pitted against each other. And it's, I think, because we're not listening, we're not trying to understand, we're not trying to walk a mile in, in this person's shoe. And I think that's really important. And another big, you know, learning or maybe learning's not the right word, another maybe unintended consequence of some of the different uh, reactions to COVID-19 have, have led to this just absolute serious mental health crisis. Specifically, we're seeing it um, in young people. So we have the listening. What is, say, the other top two skill that is lacking? I think presentation skills are so important. And not just like being able to stand up and give a PowerPoint presentation. That, that's part of it for sure. But your ability to convey your ideas in a meeting, your, your ability to speak in public and, you know, convey excitement, build excitement around your ideas is absolutely critical. And it's so unfortunate because that's the one of the biggest things that, that people are afraid of is speaking in public. So really trying to, to build that skill is absolutely critical. And the other one is around brevity. And that one specifically links to, to promotability because, you know, as people move up in their career, executives have less and less time. And it's literally like from a meeting to a meeting to a meeting. And you've got to be able to get to the heart of the matter very quickly um, to, to be able to catch, capture the engagement of executives. Because if you can't get to the heart of the matter, They're already thinking about the next meeting they're going to, that fire that they're trying to put out, that issue that they're trying to solve. So really understanding what brevity is and how to achieve it in, in your presentations, in your day-to-day -day conversations, and in your writing too, being able to send an email to an executive that's like, here's a situation, here's three bullet points that you need to know, and, and that's it. Uh, because the amount of email these folks get is just absolutely astounding. And I think this goes back to what you said before, put in the effort. Because in my experience, like being brief, it's work. Because you actually really need to know what do I want to say? What is my key message? What are the three key takeaways? Be brief, be bright, and be gone. Like that is the most sage advice mm. if you are trying to, you know, address senior folks or senior executives. Get to the point, be bright, make sure you're bubbling up the, the most important part of that message, and then be gone. 
call to action is this and let me know if you need anything else. Like it's just such a, in almost every executive that I spoke to that, that was on the top of the wish list. Like you want to advance, figure out a way to, to get to the heart of the matter, get there quickly, give good solutions, and then get out of the way. And to make this concrete, what is the most important thing that somebody needs to work on to really progress more? You know, Hannah, I think I would have to say, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different for each person, for each individual. And I think mm -hmm. if you're really serious about advancing your career, the best advice that I would give is to go and get some feedback. Ask people, what do I do really well? What could I start doing that would make me even more impactful? And is there anything that I am doing I could stop that's not adding value to my role? And once you get that feedback... You need to really reflect on it and accept it because I think that oftentimes we can get a little bit defensive when it comes to areas of our work that we could do different or we could enhance. Once you understand kind of what your biggest opportunity is, build a plan and work on that plan every single day. Read some books, take some courses, take some online courses, you know, listen to TED Talks, what, what, whatever that developmental tool is. Put the work in um, because you're not gonna you're not gonna advance. Nothing's gonna change if you don't put the work in. It's like expecting great things to happen, but without you know putting you know putting the developmental work in to move your career ahead. And you know, I think my book aims to kind of shine a light on the biggest five reasons. I think that's probably going to cover eighty percent of the folks out there are going to suffer from one of these promotability gaps. It's a great place to start. But like most things development related, it starts with asking for feedback. And I think in your book, you also help people to ask themselves self-reflective questions, right? Yeah, 100%. Each chapter has reflective questions about, you know, honestly, if you were to rate your communication skills and your ability to give a presentation, like what, what would you rate that? When you honestly reflect on it, we all know, I believe that we all know what our biggest kind of development yes. gaps are, biggest opportunities are. I think it's about accepting those and then building a plan to close those gaps. And my gosh, I mean, the Internet's an amazing resource. You could just put in, you know, communication skills and like miles of things will come up to help you close those gaps. But it's like most things, personal change is hard. There's no, there's no way around it. You have to do the work. There's no shortcut. No, there are no shortcuts. That is so true. And you said initially that one of your core values is hard work. I mean, it's really coming through till the end. Yeah, it is. I mean, put in the effort. It's a little bit of that grit factor too, right? Like you got to put the work in and you got to stay right to the gritty end. You, even when it's tough, you have to, you got to find a way to be able to highlight that item at the end of the day that you got it done because um, there there are no shortcuts you know like for anything in life there are no shortcuts you have to work you know i love the angela duckworth red book was is one of my favorite ones yeah amazing i think too for women it's like maybe we're not you know born to be gritty maybe it's not in our dna to begin with but uh, it's a teachable skill it really truly is um and it's it's an important one And question, you are now basically, you have all the ingredients to climb up the corporate ladder to the very top. Like, you know what it takes. Are you right now taking a break and in one year time, you will be back? 
Oh, that's the million dollar question. I, I'm not sure. You know, I've had a couple of interesting opportunities come across my desk since I've been gone. I, I don't know, Hannah. I mean, I, I would never say no because you don't know what the future is going to hold. But I think right right now, this is like I'm living the life that is closest to my purpose, my passion. I get to spend all this time. Like my mom's down here in Mexico with us for the winter. Jim's parents are here. So it's just, it's amazing being close to family, getting to pursue all these adventurous, you know, cultural things. I'm writing these books. I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm really, I'm really content, but you never know. You never know what the future holds. What is the next thing that's coming up for you? Yeah, I'm, uh, it's a great question. So I am just about to tie a bow on the first draft of my next book, um, which is called Principles for Franchisee Success. So I spent pretty much my whole career working either for franchisees or for the franchisor, lends itself to a bit of a unique um, lens on how those two groups could work much closer together. So I'm just about to wrap up the first draft of that book. And again, there, the aim is to really help franchisees, to help them understand, like, look, if you're going to focus on three core parts of your business, these are the three to double down on. And here's why, and here's the resources that you could use to kind of further develop in that area. Right wow. now, I'm going to do some traveling. We're going to spend a couple of months in Argentina this summer, do some skiing and hiking and That's kind of what, what's right in front of me right now. That is amazing. I'm really happy for you that you enjoy your life like this. But I have one more question. How can our listeners stay in touch with you? Oh, they can uh, follow me on LinkedIn. That's probably where I'm most active. Um, I'm sharing some stuff there every day. My contact info information is on LinkedIn as well. I have a Substack channel where I write uh, leadership reviews of CEOs, politics, self-leadership. Um, so I would say those are the two, the two best channels. Perfect. Thank you so much. This was super inspirational. And I think now we know how to get to the next level in our careers. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> it, was such a, it was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So are you ready to get promoted now? We spoke about the five areas that will take you there, if that is something that you want to achieve, of course. The one thing that I kept thinking about is actually the proximity bias, the belief by supervisors that the on-site workers work harder in comparison to the remote workers simply for the reason that they physically see them. It's not fair, and it will take a culture of trust and transparency to turn that around. What is something that's important to you? You can tag me at Reaching Your Goals podcast, a delegate, or you can directly write me at hannahadelegate.com. And of course, if you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do so wherever you listen to your podcast. This way, you will get the next episode in your inbox when it drops on Tuesday. With that, we are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next time. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,